Hello and welcome to Care Insights with the Outstanding Society, a podcast created to share and celebrate best practice, help others to improve and learn more about the amazing career opportunities within social care. In this episode, we continue our journey investigating research within social care. Zoe is joined by Professor Catherine Sleeman and Professor Catherine Evans, who led the Cove Power Care Home Study, which looked at how the pandemic affected the provision of palliative and end-of-life care within care homes. Welcome to the Outstanding Societies podcast. I'd like to welcome Professor Evans and Professor Sleeman to, to this episode. Professor Evans, please could I ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your role? Pleasure. Thank you, Zoe. So uh, my name is Catherine Evans. I'm a clinical academic in palliative care and community nursing. So I'm based at the Cicely Saunders Institute at King's College London and work clinically in Sussex Community NHS Foundation Trust as a nurse consultant in palliative care. My role on the Covpile Care Home project was as the, a co-principal investigator uh, working with Professor Catherine Sleeman. Thank you. And could I ask you to do the same, please, Professor Sleeman? Yeah, of course. So my name's Catherine Sleeman. I'm also a clinical academic in palliative care based at the Cicely Saunders Institute at King's. Um, clinically, I work as a palliative medicine consultant at King's College Hospital, so a very large hospital in southeast London. And as Catherine Evans said, I was a co-principal investigator on the Cough Park Care Home Study alongside Catherine. Fantastic. Thank you. And could, could I stay with you, please, and, and initially ask you, what's the importance of, of research in, in social care? I think Catherine Evans should answer that. <laughs> <laughs> OK, thank you. So what's the importance of research in social care? I think research is always fundamentally one of the main ways that we can improve care across care settings whether it's in social care or healthcare. I think for social care, there's been such a marked underinvestment of research within social care settings. I think things that are changing that is the appointment of Deborah Sturdy as now as the chief nurse for social care. First time we've ever had a chief nurse in the Department of Health and Social Care. Deborah is passionate about uh, career opportunities uh, for the social care workforce, particularly for nurses in that workforce. And part of that passion and workforce development is creating opportunities to be a practitioner academic. So just as Catherine and I are clinical academics, there really hasn't been a pathway for practitioner academics in social care. That's now changing. The integrated clinical academic pathway that the National Institute of Health Research and Care Fund now also very much includes and emphasizes practitioners from social care. The NIHR School of uh, Social Care as well is very much championing building research capacity within social care, because fundamentally that's what we need to be able to improve the providing, invest strategically in what really makes a difference for residents, really enable social care staff to fully achieve their ambitions within uh, care home settings. 
Fantastic. Thank you. That that was a fantastic answer. Catherine, the other shall I yeah. Shall I jump in a bit? So um thanks, Catherine. That was a brilliant answer. And I suppose the only thing I would stress is that the social care setting has been overlooked really for too long in terms of research. And as Catherine says, that's really changing now, which is a hugely positive thing. From a palliative care perspective, if I think with my palliative care hat on. We know from our research at the Cicely Saunders Institute that care homes may well become the most common place for people across the UK to die by 2040. And so it's absolutely essential that we have research that is carried out in the care home setting to make sure that those deaths are as that people are looked after as well as they can be. And I suppose that probably brings us on quite nicely to the, the research project that we have carried out. Absolutely. No, thank you for that. And and as you say, Deborah, Deborah Sturdy um, has, has done amazing things for adult social care, um, focusing on the cred talks. I think they're incredibly valuable um, for people to come along and listen to. So if you could tell me a bit about your, your research um, study, that would be fantastic. Shall I start, Catherine? Yeah. Um, so this research was really conceived in 2020. I think we started talking about it over the summer of 2020. And it was based on an observation that we made, Catherine and I made, that we knew from the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, many thousands of excess deaths were occurring in care homes as a result of the pandemic. And in fact, at one point, during the first wave of the pandemic, care homes temporarily became the most common place in England and Wales to die. So care homes overtook hospital and overtook home to be the most common place to die. Now, of course, at the time, there was a lot of focus and attention on those statistics. But our observation was that all of that attention was focused on, on infection control. And there was very, very little attention on the provision of palliative and end of life care within care homes and how that was being affected by the pandemic. So the aim of the COVPAL care home study was to examine how care homes responded to this huge and rapid escalation in need for palliative and end of life care during the pandemic. Um, but also really importantly, we wanted to draw conclusions that were relevant beyond the pandemic. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And, and, and I love as well as part of the, the project, you, you really recognise the, the, the worth of, of people working within care settings. We're, we're doing a lot of work at the Outstanding Society at the moment to, to call people, not staff members, but team members or social care professionals, because it's, it's such a highly recognised um, career pathway to be in. What are your thoughts around that? Do you want to go, Catherine? Yeah. So just just rephrase. So career pathway. What specifically in social care and care homes? What in social care and care homes? Okay. So I think a big part of this work was in very much wanting to profile the key role that care homes have in providing palliative and end of life care. And as Catherine's just said that you know, projected to be the main place of death by 2040. And I think in terms of bed capacity, care homes have something like five times the number of beds compared to our uh, acute hospitals. 
So they're absolutely key part of the system in providing health and care, and particularly for older adults living with multiple conditions, particularly with older adults living with dementia. So this work was very much around how were care home staff able to meet the rapid rise in need for palliative care provision? And much of the work was then very much in identifying all that they are doing and how under-recognized that is. And, and the huge variation, you know, is very well reported in the literature, but the big variation in that some care homes were able to respond incredibly well to the, the rapid rise in need. And the reason they could do that was because they were very well integrated with their external health services. So like the specialist palliative care teams, like the GPs, the community nurses, and they had an established way of working as a multidisciplinary team. And the homes that really struggled were the ones that didn't actually have that existing infrastructure in place. So I think in terms of workforce development, it's that recognition of the skills and expertise to deliver palliative care within these care settings. But what's absolutely crucial for staff to be able to do that well is that they have the resources to provide the care that's needed. And a big part of that resource is the integration with those external healthcare services. Fantastic. Thank, thank you, Catherine. And, and in terms of the data collection, the, the carer's perspective, the care home professionals, how has that benefited your, your research study? Shall I go? So I think, so the, in terms of the data that we collected, so we had a survey that went to all of the care homes UK wide. And of course, this was right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. So understandably, care home staff were very, very stretched. And interestingly, there was a huge increase in research activity in care homes. And just as Catherine's described, most of that, though, was, of course, focusing on infection control and prevention. But the care homes were quite inundated with requests for data, and they also had their care home tracker system going on as well with their national reporting around COVID cases and things. So the survey enabled us to um, survey just over 100 care homes. So that's both nursing homes and residential care homes and going both from very small homes with around 20 beds right up to the larger homes with 100 beds, including both small providers where they had one or two homes right up to the the very large providers of um, care home facilities. And then probably that gave us a broad sense of what was happening in terms of how they managed to provide palliative and end of life care, their skills and expertise, what worked, what was very challenging for them. And then we were able to do a deeper dive really with some qualitative interviews with some of the survey responders. So that involved just under 40 individuals who uh, participated in a, a much more in-depth qualitative interview, talking through their experiences of providing palliative and end-of-life care, focusing during the pandemic, and importantly, the challenges that they faced, and maybe more importantly, the solution 
made a difference to them in being able to provide uh, the care and support that was needed. And remembering this was very much about supporting residents to recover from COVID-19. So they were caring for people who were symptomatic to support their recovery. They were also caring for individuals who were dying from COVID as well, of course, dying from other conditions as well. So wanting to understand how did you do that? What was it that made a difference to you in being able to provide the care and the support that was needed? And if I'm honest, we were hugely humbled, particularly by the qualitative interviews, in hearing the stories and the sacrifices that people made in you know, moving in and living within the care home, partly to prevent uh, cross-infection, but also because often they just didn't have sufficient staff because they had people who were off sick, so needed to be on the premises all the time. So immensely humbling in terms of the commitment, the skill and the expertise that, uh, you know, the staff told us about in those interviews and that we could see through the surveys. Fantastic. And I think this is an excellent example of, of, of the care profession and being involved with re research studies and not just that research is being done to them. Yeah. Catherine, would you like to come in there? Yeah. So the other way um, in which we really involved social care professionals in the research was through our what we called our care home expert panel. So throughout the study, we had a care home expert panel that included I think at least seven, maybe sometimes eight or nine care home professionals who we discussed our plans with. They helped us design our survey. They helped think through the topic guide for our qualitative interviews, and they helped us analyze data and make sense of it. And that group was absolutely critical to the success of our overall study. They added huge, huge value by making sure that every question we asked really had relevance, was framed in the right way, was um, what ha would have resonance with the people answering the survey. That's lovely to hear. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, could I ask you about the outcomes of the research project? Could you tell me a bit about integration, digital support, and the emotional support people need? So I suppose um, as one of the main, one of our main objectives with this study was that we didn't just want to do a piece of research that produced an academic paper and then sat in an academic drawer forever and never led to any real world change. From the start, we were really keen that this study led to impact, a real world difference, particularly through policy impact. And that was very much facilitated because we were funded by the NIHR policy research program. So from the start, we knew that there had to be a, a really real focus on how these data might lead to improvement through policy impact. So through our analysis of results and through a series of conversations with stakeholders, such as our care home expert panel, but also um, family carers, academics and policy experts, we developed 10 policy recommendations um, for improving palliative and end of life care in care homes. And those policy recommendations fell across five areas. So we could talk about each of them if you liked. Um, the first, which I think is particularly interesting, 
particularly important, but probably the hardest thing to achieve was around valuing the role of care homes and care home staff. So this was something that came through so strongly from our data that care home staff didn't only feel ignored and undervalued by the government and the public and the media. It was actually worse than that. They felt actively blamed. In our data, we had care home professionals telling us that they had reporters basically knocking on the door trying to get dirt on the care home. Um, and they felt huge, they felt that that had really actually not only emotional impacts, but really tangible practical impacts such as not being um, prioritised in terms of when PPE was distributed, actually care homes felt as though they were bottom of the list. And staff of course felt stressed and had really low morale. So a recommendation, a kind of broad recommendation is that we must ensure parity of esteem and value, boost the national profile of care homes and care home professional. But a huge question is, how do we achieve that? And one of the things that actually we came up with and that we've done is we've created a short video and animation based on our data that is all about this point, valuing care homes, making sure that when people are out clapping for the NHS, they actually have care homes in their mind during that time, trying to turn the media narrative away from the current situation, which is essentially if there's a story about care homes in the press, it's generally a bad story, to actually a situation where we celebrate the extraordinary work of care homes and the professionals who work within them. Um, so that was one of our recommendations, which is probably, I think, the most important, but probably the hardest. We also had some more um, practical recommendations, which perhaps Catherine, you want to pick up on. Yes, I was just reflecting on the workforce development, which was the next main area. And, and particularly it was one of the things that um, our care home expert panel, you know, sort of guided us in saying that a lot of people are attracted into working in care homes because they're interested in providing palliative and end-of-life care and that's what's important for them and that's what they want to focus on and though that's very much um, the what drives people to want to work in a care home and what I think gives a, a huge amount of satisfaction in the role there was then very mixed experience in terms of the training and the support that people received so that, again, I think for us was a policy recommendation in, well, actually, this should be something that's standard for care homes, because, of course, part of the problem for the care home sector is that they, you know, there's not a national organisation that unites them because they are obviously all with, you know, they're independent businesses, they're all within the private sector, but there's no overarching national body that brings them all together, which means that their voice is just not amplified in terms of what's important for them and particularly one of the things around the workforce development I remember one of our um, uh, members on our expert panel telling us very much that this needs to come from within the care home sector there's an awful lot of emphasis on you know external training programs being offered and yes they can work very well to an extent but what's really needed is greater reciprocation and much more of the growth of the training uh, and the requirements coming from the care home sector so i think the emphasis on the importance of research 
will also help that because then you've got champions and leaders who are then in a position to be designing and developing what should, what is the best sort of training program around palliative and end of life care that really makes a difference that can be sustained. What does that look like? What are the priorities? And also remembering that the main people they're caring for are older adults. So thinking more about geriatric palliative care, that's very much the, the space that they're in. So making sure that that training is, is tailored to that population group. Fantastic. And I think I think workforce development is is so crucial. And I'm wondering if if research projects like this could feed into the new social care nursing advisory councils that are being set up in each ICB because they're being they're being chaired by a nurse from social care. And we're looking at national and local priorities, um, having a board of around 12 people to feed into the ICBs. Actually, what does social care need? So maybe we need to have a focus around palliative care and care homes um, within those groups. Yeah, And building capacity in research. You know, as we, we began the conversation talking about the practitioner academic pathway, which is now open to social care for the first time. But for people to embark on that pathway needs that support and investment really and and valuing the importance of having individuals who are practitioner academics within social care so that they are supported by their care home for example to do that fantastic thank you and coming back to you Catherine your your first point around valuing the role I think that 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 is an amazing to come out with an outcome like that for, for social care. Thank you. And the other areas that, that the outcomes. Yeah. So um, the fourth of five areas was around integration. We called it a spirit of partnership and it really ties in with what we were just saying about the integrated care boards. We found that some care home professionals told us that they worked in a fully integrated way across the system with primary care, with specialist palliative care. They um, had really good support, systems of contacting, getting quick advice when it was needed and, and people coming into the care home when that was needed too. So there were some instances where things really were integrated and worked really well, but there were some um, instances where actually that spirit of integration was almost completely lacking and care home professionals told us that they felt isolated um, they didn't know who they could contact and actually you know examples of care home professionals telling us that they'd be on the phone to 111 and then get cut off after 50 minutes stories like that so of course, with the new um, integrated care boards and the health and care bill, it's a huge opportunity to try and ensure, well, we must ensure that care homes are also part of that integrated piece. And there are some, there are some um, examples in our data of how integration might be improved. Things as simple as having palliative care services as part of care home multidisciplinary meetings for people who might be approaching the end of their lives, things like that, um, ensuring that care homes have a place at the table in that broader integrated care board discussion. So it's excellent to hear about that initiative that ensures that they will. Catherine, do you want to pick up on digital? Yeah, let's come to that next, because that's very that was our fifth 
policy recommendation was around the digital inclusivity. And again, this very much speaks to the integration with the external healthcare services. So digital during the pandemic was absolutely crucial. So we know that, you know, for most of the, uh, the care homes were reliant on digital infrastructure, both to communicate with external health providers in remembering the majority of GPs, specialist palliative care stopped all of their home visiting and all consultations were conducted virtually. Not the same for the community nurses who were still visiting individuals, but of course there was a huge amount of concern about infection control and prevention. So digital was crucial. It was also crucial for the residents to maintain their contact with their loved ones, with their family members. But what we observed in the survey and from the qualitative interviews was again that there was huge variation in the, the digital infrastructure. So though the government provided care homes with a, uh, a tablet, an iPad, the care homes only received one each. So that meant for the a care home, they, were having, they had a tablet in which they were trying to use that to conduct virtual consultations with GPs, with community nurses, with specialists in palliative care. They were trying to use that to connect residents with their family members. They were also trying to use them for staff to access all the education materials that then came around uh, managing COVID symptoms, for example. So that was very problematic. And then also added to that was, of course, the huge uh, variation in their existing infrastructure. So very basic things like their Wi-Fi. So often they didn't have Wi-Fi throughout the care home. They might have only had it in one office where they had a a PC that was plugged in and they might have had some Wi-Fi there. So it was one of those things that really disadvantaged them in being able to capitalise on what was being offered. So being able to capitalise on the virtual consultations, being able to capitalise on remote monitoring. And also for the, the residents and the families, it further isolated the residents in not being able to connect with their, their family members and also for the families in feeling so disconnected from, uh, yeah, from, from the loved ones. And, and that was very much, our again, our recommendations with things like the NHS digital strategy was ensuring, again, that parity, that investment within healthcare services, that the same level of investment was also seen within care homes. And, and the shift to things like virtual consultations are important because it does enable improve that access to external healthcare services. But there has to be the investment in the infrastructure for, for care home staff to be able to really maximise uh, working with external services in that way. Lovely, thank you. Uh, a really powerful study. So what are the next steps for you? Catherine, can you go? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna want you to go. Okay, so I think so. I think we've done a lot of work as, as as we've been running with this project in terms of engagement, particularly the policy engagement. So the policy briefing that we wrote came out before our publication, and that was absolutely deliberate. So to engage policymakers and to be informing 
the response during the, the pandemic in managing this rapid rise in palliative care needs. And to some extent that has gained traction in terms of palliative care is really important for the care home sector. I think that message has been amplified, obviously not just by this study, but by the huge increase in deaths in care homes. So in the first wave of the pandemic, the number of excess deaths increased by 240% within care homes. So at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about that by 2040, care homes are projected to be the commonest place to die. We reached that in the first wave of the pandemic. So I think it absolutely put up front and centre the role of care homes in providing palliative and end of life care. So to some extent, this work was then very important to say, look, this is what they're doing. This is the problem that they have been so overlooked and under-recognised in terms of their work, that there has been consistent underinvestment in what they do and lack of recognition. That I think that the research has very much helped to inform that policy messaging on what will make the difference. And things like you mentioned, the CRED talks that um, Deborah Sturdy leads on. So we've presented this work within one of the, the CRED talks that we're now talking about now. So I think it's continually pushing and amplifying the research and also presenting it in ways that um, policymakers can engage, which was the policy briefing, and also for the public to engage. So the animation that Catherine talked about was very much aimed at the public. So the messaging is not just about to policymakers about look at what this sector is doing, we need to invest and recognize them better. It's also that messaging to the public around, look at the difference that this sector makes, because often the public don't really have an appreciation of that until they have a family member who requires 24-7 uh, care and needs to move into a care home. And it's at those points that, that the public then begin to have an appreciation and a valuing of, this, of, of the sector. But otherwise, they remain quite hidden, except whenever there's some, you know, story around abuse in a care home, you know, it's always very negative. It's very rare that you hear the very powerful stories about the difference that they're making every single day to people's lives. Fantastic. Thank you. Can I just come in? Um... I completely agree with that, Catherine, and I'm just going to share um, a reflection from one of the interviews that we did, which really moved me at the time. And I've just it's just come back into my mind. And so I'm going to share it on this podcast because it really, to me, epitomizes that sense of, oh, no, care homes are not the problem here. They are part of the solution. Um, so one of our research participants told us that. The, care, the COVID pandemic had been this really, really very difficult time, partly because they were not able to care for people who were dying in the way that they would usually care. It was all masks and gloves and spending minimal amounts of time in the room. And that really went against everything that care home professionals want to do when, when one of their residents is dying. And they were also not able to go to funerals, right? Funerals during some periods of time were absolutely um, just very, very tiny and 
care and professionals often go to the funerals when their residents died and they weren't able to. And so this, the story was that, that was reflected in the data was that, so what fam one family did, knowing that the care home staff would have been so distressed and distraught not to be able to go to this funeral, was that they arranged for the funeral cortege to drive in through the front of the care home um, grounds across the main entrance and go out of the other the exit to the care home and so that all of the the staff and the residents could pay their respects and they lined up outside and they they clapped and paid their respects as the as the hearse drove past and that for them was an incredibly important moment in terms of saying goodbye and and they felt so grateful to the residents family members for having arranged that and i my reflection was the gratitude that the family must have felt in order to go to the effort to arrange that, that they knew that that was such a critical thing. To me, that story just sums up that this is not a kind of transactional thing. This is trained professionals caring deeply about provision of palliative and end of life care. And that's, that's something that we must absolutely value because it is so needed. Thank you. And I, I think that that's lovely final words. And thank you for, for sharing that with us. Thank you both for joining this podcast today. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. The Outstanding Society is a community interest company. It's free to join and is open to everyone. You don't need to have an outstanding rating to be a member. 